in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, it says, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, pray, Father, hallowed be your name. That day, Jesus revealed the true face of God. Pray to my Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. That groundbreaking, gravity-shifting revelation of Jesus, God Almighty, singular, uncreated, totally holy, eternal, infinite, impassable, impeccable, incomprehensible, immaterial, all-powerful, all-present, all-wise, all-knowing, goodness, love, just, jealous, free and sovereign, creator of the universe, of logic, of justice, the source of beauty and truth and all that is and is not, who transcends all human concepts, constructs, and creeds beyond anything we could intellectualize, fashion, or imagine. And Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, reveals God as your Father. Think of it. All of the best moms and dads of all of history combined. Imagine all of the love Wisdom, gentleness, strength, kindness ever shown by a parent to a child is a faint shadow of the love, grace, and wisdom and nurturing God the Father has for you at this very moment. And the apostle writes, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You say that with me, Abba, Father. Let's say, Abba, Father. Literally calling out, Dad, Papa, Daddy. From the moment a baby arrives in the world, he learns how to communicate. His first form of communication is crying, right? We caught someone's attention. Babies catch our attention, don't they? He cries when he's hungry, uncomfortable, or tired. From around three months, a baby starts to babble to himself and make sounds back when we talk to him. He may begin to recognize his name and even respond when you say it from across the room. From around six months, a baby favors certain sounds such as ba, ba, or ma, ma as these are easily pronounced. He may repeat them over and over because he likes the way they sound. Ba, da, ma. And around his first birthday, a toddler begins to use one or more words and know what they mean. The first word could well be a variation of da, da. In first century Palestine, the first words of a baby could very well be, ah, ba. 
The revelation of Jesus on the nature of God was a revolution. He taught, truly, you are in the presence of the Almighty. And the people could get that far. They could understand the holiness of an unapproachable creator. But he says, you are in the presence of the Almighty and you may address him with the same familiar cry of a child swept up into his father's arms when he falls and bruises his knee. Do you believe that God is your father this morning? Do you believe that you are Abba's child, as Brandon Manning would say? Unimaginably vast, yet he chooses to live inside of you by his spirit, permeating you with his presence. Do you believe this to be true? Do you know God in this familiar, trusting, yet genuinely reverent and wonder-filled way this morning? You can know God that way. Paul's saying in our passage today, there's a kind of life that leads to death and a kind of death that leads to life and peace. He says you, Christian, are obligated to leave behind the old dead-end ways because you have been adopted, deliberately chosen. All of your debts have been paid for in full. You are now an inheritor of your father's assets. And now what defines you is that you are a member of Christ's family. The one offensive weapon put in our hand to fight sin, according to the book of Ephesians, or the epistle of Ephesians, is the Bible, which is known as the sword of the Spirit. So between the Word of God and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, sin can be slayed. And we can walk in the way of Jesus, which is the way of righteousness. And it's the Spirit's job as helper and counselor to make Christ Jesus our everything, our all in all, every day that we have on God's green earth. That's what is most important and what is most needed, according to Romans 8 this morning. To know who we are in Christ and to know whose we are. I've been asked these questions in one way or form of another throughout the many years I've been a pastor. There are two questions that I get more than, more than most. Number one, how can I know God's will for my life? How can I know God's will for my life? What, what am I supposed to do? Some variation of that question. And the second question is like unto it. Why doesn't God intervene in my life to help me out? And my answer, Paul's answer here in Romans chapter 8 is this. Believe. Believe that you will find your way and the strength to do what is right and leads to life. I know that you will have the strength and you will have what you need because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, which is true of every Christian. And that is the answer to your second question as well. Why doesn't God intervene and reorder every situation to suit our personal wishes? We've no right to ask that question, Paul will say later 
in the letter of Romans, nor should we want to. That would mean that we know better than God, and that would be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? Think about it. We naturally want it easy, but when the path before you looks easy and straightforward, you may be tempted to go it alone instead of relying on him. Friends, that is when we are in real danger. When we see the path so clearly, we, we think we know so well, we can say, Father, I got this one. I, I can do this one alone. That is when we are in danger. If God solves our problems by some visible external means, it gives you that big sign in, in the sky that you're hoping for, it, it would mean that what we're able to do as normal Christians, unaided by supernatural intervention, doesn't count. What would be the point of being a Christian if in every crisis God swooped in? Why would anyone need faith if we could rely on Superman to swoop in? No, you have the person of the Holy Spirit within you, and as a result, you have all that you need for today. And to live and not die is to be utterly dependent on him every day. Paul reminds us, quote, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into what? Finish it. Into fear. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I think often our anguish and questioning about God's will comes out of a deep place of fear. Fear of life, fear of failure, fear of our dreams being dashed, fear of not succeeding. We have a lot of fear in our life, and that bubbles up and motivates these kinds of questions. And unfortunately, we could become fatalistic in those fears, and that will be a subject that we talk about in the next few weeks. If we would spend less time worrying about whether to do this or that or the other thing and more time applying sound biblical doctrine into our lives, we'd be much more at peace and experience more life and and we would be more fruitful if we trust God for what he's given to us for today and trust to him those things that we do not understand. As a reminder this morning, the Bible is not a magic eight ball that you can shake and get the answers in life. But we're to trust the Spirit to lead us in the ordinary, everyday walk of a disciple. No big sign in the sky. No fanfare. Just everyday faithfulness. Trusting God's will for what we do know. What do I know today? I don't know the answer of what's going to happen when I get to the office or when I return this phone call, but what am I to do right now? That's where we're to to trust. That's the path that leads to righteousness and to holiness. As my college pastor used to always say, the Spirit will be a light onto your feet, not a high beam to disclose what's ahead. So here's the takeaway. There's two. First, know yourself as one beloved by God, as Abba's child, the great Brennan Manning would always say, 
This is your true self, that you are God's child. Any other identity that you, you take as primary to that, you put before that, well, I, I'm, I'm a doctor, I'm a, a, a physician, I'm an attorney, I'm a teacher, I'm a sales rep, I'm a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is, all of that is secondary. In fact, all of that is really an illusion. It's a shadow of your true self. Your true self is a child of God. And think of how Jesus sought his Father's will in the garden, crying out, not my will, but thy will be done, Father. And when we cry, and Christians cry, for we join in Christ's suffering, just as our siblings are suffering in Syria and Nigeria and Pakistan and Kenya and China on this World Communion Sunday, as they cry to Abba, then the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit of our true identity. God's will is for you. God's will for you can be summed up in these words from 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, that you should be set apart, sanctified for him. That's God's will. What's God's will for my life? That you be set apart. What's God's will? What, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to trust. But no, but that, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll, that's a given. But what am I supposed to do now? You're supposed to know your true identity as God's son or daughter. And when we wish that God would intervene and, and we wish for God's intervention, the second takeaway after knowing our true identity is knowing our elder brother, knowing whose we are, and praising God the Father who spared no expense to convince us of his unfailing commitment to us as our Father. And I'll end with these words, again from Brennan Manning. I've made reference to him so often already in this message Brennan Manning writes this, God loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity. He loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, or limitation. No matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. So at this moment, Jesus is walking to you right now where you're seated, seated, And he looks you straight in the eye. And he says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. Right now I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship. Nothing is hidden from my eyes. And my word to you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you as you are and not as you should be. You will never be as you should be, not in this life. That's the hope that we have. That's why we come to the table. We come to the table because we're all works in progress. We all need to be fed. We all need to take a break on this path, this journey, this sojourn that we're on. And we take a break. We take our our backpack off. And he says, come. Come and be refreshed and be renewed in your spirit. Be fed on this foretaste of the kingdom to come. All are welcome to this table who trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior.